Good morning. Years ago, when I was in my 20s, I received a surprise inheritance. It was from a great aunt who lived in Oregon, whom I hadn't seen since I was a child. However, I had been in correspondence with her for, uh, for a few years now. Aunt Blanche, or Ba as she was known, was my grandmother's sister. She was born in the late 1880s as, and was in some ways a woman ahead of her time. Never married, she had a good career with a bank that situated her in Portland. Each year on our birthdays, we would receive a birthday card from her with some money in it, usually a $2 bill. And that was generous for the time. And it was also a novelty living in Saskatchewan where you rarely saw $2 bills, which is another story for another time. So why would she send us cards and money when she didn't really know us? Well, as a woman without children of her own, she was very fond of her nieces and nephews. Because she loved my father, she loved us, her great nieces and nephews. Now, we were raised to send thank you notes. When I was in my late teens, I wrote her a newsy thank you note, which, to my surprise, she responded. This began a delightful correspondence that continued until she died. She was elderly, but the tone of her letters was that of a woman with a bright and engaged mind. She was fully engaged in her life. The nearly 70 years difference in our ages made no difference at all. My father and I actually talked about traveling from Saskatchewan to see her, but other events prevented that. So I only knew her through letters, and I loved her. Nevertheless, I was surprised after she died to receive a letter from a lawyer telling me I had inherited $500 American from her estate. Back in 1980, that was a lot of money, especially to me, a rural teacher with a husband who was a full-time student. I remember how touched I was and surprised that she would consider this great niece she had only met as a child when writing her will. Why did she care about me in the first place? As I say, because as a person without children of her own, she cared deeply for her nephew, my father. I felt also a little bit defensive as I was the only one of my five siblings who received anything. No, I wasn't ingratiating myself when I exchanged letters with her. I loved hearing from her and loved the bond that was created across the miles. It was something special I shared with my dad as well, who did know her and was very fond of her. Dad um, inherited a big silver tray. <laughs> but I really felt this familial love and connection um, through these letters. And, and the gift to me just affirmed that. Now, the reason I think of Aunt Blanche is because of the reference to inheritors in Paul's epistle to the Romans. I remember how touched I was to re be remembered by her and how I remembered with love and gratitude the relationship we had created. I remember that her money was something, her memory, sorry, was something special I shared with Dad. Now, this morning, we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Trinity in recent years, this festival seems to be downplayed, but it really should be right up there with Christmas and Easter. Trinity Sunday follows weeks and weeks of a theme that began back on Ash Wednesday. Often reduced to an observance of doctrine, it can pale in comparison to the birth of the Savior born um, to the Savior of the world, born to a woman, a human woman, in a stable or the resurrection of that same senior three days after a cruel crucifixion. 
Sometimes the heart of Trinity is lost in arguments about how one can be three and three can be one, or questions about why must God be limited to three. And then there are the various explanations branded as heresy, when really Trinity Sunday is a profound love story. This morning, I could discuss or dissect the meaning of three persons in one God, speaking of persons as referring to that which is relational, and one referring to unity and essence, or as we say in the BCP version of the Nicene Creed, Jesus being of one substance with the Father, and the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father, or God. For those of you who like a good discussion, looking at the etymology of words and the deep doctrinal meaning of the faith as interpreted by the Anglican Church, that could be fun. But on this Sunday, as we sit apart from each other in our homes, I think we need to hear about the profound love this concept implies. In the part of Paul's epistle to the Romans that we heard this morning, we get as good a definition of the Holy Trinity as needed. And within that definition, we hear themes of the intimate nature of family relationship that is rooted in sacrificial love and a sharing of all that one has. These words that Paul spoke would have been startling, to say the least, to that first audience. The Roman culture of the day was brutal. Signs of weakness were abhorrent. Power, might, and a specifically defined social status were indicators of success and entitlement. Paul shockingly elevates slaves to inheritors of the king. In other writings, Paul expands on this, as in Galatians, where he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I would somewhat challenge some of the translations we read, especially for our age and the way we now interpret the masculine to say adoption as children rather than referring to sonship. This is a broad and inclusive relationship Paul is speaking of. The people of this Roman culture did not accept that there was any way or any situation where single women, parentless or poor children, and slaves had any kind of autonomy with those above them in society. That thought was abhorrent. These were dangerous words coming from Paul. Although I am firm in my conviction of inequities in our current society, which still need to be addressed, the lines drawn in Roman society were thick, black, and unambiguous. However, this power of love from God demonstrated by Jesus and given through the power of the Holy Spirit was meant for all, all people, regardless of social status or man, yes, man, made rules. This spirit we have received has brought us into an intimate relationship with God. We share in that essence, not just as inheritance of a fraction, but as co-inheritors with Christ. We can call God Abba. There's not really a satisfactory translation of the word Abba, which is why it is left as Abba in our various translations. A close translation perhaps could be Papa or Daddy. It implies intimacy. It is a relationship built on unconditional love, a relationship that is irrefutably connected and familiar. Although we may know of this love in our heads, 
Many of us also know what it means to long for a greater awareness of God's presence in our lives. It is a holy longing people share, even if they do not realize what it is. Paul speaks of groaning inwardly as we await our adoption. This groaning isn't something particularly beautiful or refined. It is not an oratorio. When the Spirit cries, it is not melodic. The Greek translation for groan is croak. It is a visceral noise that comes from a place deep within. This passage from Paul expresses that we are called to be a community rooted to the cry in our hearts, to a place where all have dignity, to a place where grace is at the heart. Community is the source of strength, and as we work to find ways to create Christian community, we know we sometimes fail in our attempts. Yet knowing we fail, we also know the faithful thing to do is to keep trying. What does this love expressed in Paul's letter to the Romans mean to us today? One commentator put the question this way, what does it mean for us to live knowing we are God's beloved children, adopted and chosen and named co-heirs with Christ? What difference does it make to know that you are unconditionally loved, that you have immeasurable value in God's eyes? that no matter what you do or is done to you, and no matter where you go, God always loves you and cares about you. And I might add to that, what does that mean, not only when we are expressing our love in worship with others, but in our day-to-day lives, in the mundane, with its ups and downs and so on? As co-inheritors with Christ, Um, With everything we have, we need to care for this gift given freely out of love. We must find ways to accept it when deserving isn't part of the equation. And we must share it with others, those in and those out. I am wondering if we can abide in this love and allow it to permeate our consciousness, showing itself in acts of gratitude and co-creation. Let's find times in our days to bask in that love, to allow it to permeate to our very cores, finding the grace and dignity freely given to all. You matter. We matter. In God's eyes, we are significant. As I said, many a debate has occurred regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. In the end, though, it is a glorious mystery. It can never be fully defined, which is why words like essence and substance are used. In the end, it is the question and the answer. In C.S. Lewis's novel, Until We Have Faces, he says, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Glorious mystery and glorious reality. And so we sing the ancient and ever holy, holy, holy to the glorious and eternal triune God who is both merciful and mighty, the God who created the universe and through adoption and as co-heirs shares with us in the divine creation through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen.